This is a Cincy fan talking with LP. You can catch me on Twitter. That's a Cincy fan talking. You say it like it sounds, just leave off the G. If you have ideas for the show, you can reach me at Cincy underscore fan talk at yahoo.com. If you have any suggestions for the show, make sure you leave them there. Who knows? You might find yourself as part of the show. Any feedback would be definitely appreciated. And also, make sure you hit the link tree page that's on my Twitter. Make sure you click on that. You can find all the different ways to contact me there. Enjoy the show. What's up? What's up? What's going on, everybody out there in podcast land? Welcome to another episode of A Sensi Fan Talking with LP. And of course, this is yours truly, LP. Kicking with y'all on a lovely Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or Saturday morning or Sunday afternoon or whenever it is you listen to the podcast. I'm kicking it with you for the next 35 minutes or so, 35 to 40 minutes. Don't like to make it too long, but I like to say what I got to say. So appreciate y'all coming through and enjoying the ride. Kind of fighting through the beginnings of a sore throat. I don't really know what it is, um, but it kind of sparked a a little bit of the conversation we're going to have tonight. Um, COVID memories. Um, I was... Um, I have been lucky enough to never have had COVID. Um, honestly, I'm just being real with y'all. So many people around me have had COVID that I just kind of assumed that I had it at some point. But every time I tested, I came up negative. So it's not me bragging, y'all. Like, for real. So many people around me caught COVID that I'm pretty sure at some point I had COVID. I just never tested positive. So it's not one of those things like, look, I did everything right. I drank water. Like I, I had egg protein shakes. Nah, <laughs> it wasn't nothing like that. Um, so we're going to get into that a little bit of um, COVID reminiscing uh, about a real crazy time in America. Um, we're going to talk about a movie that you should definitely watch, which is not a movie, but it's a book that you should definitely read. So we're going to kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Damian Lillard, a basketball player I really 100% respect. And we're going to talk about why he brought up a real, or how he brought up a really good point about how so many people put the ring over everything. You feel me? So we're going to get into that. But first, we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament and a little bit of a controversial take from me, I guess. And we're going to talk about that right now. Been loving the tournament. Really one of the, I won't say one of the few times I can just watch sports unimpeded and unbothered because the fam, they're really good about just kind of letting me do what I do as far as watching sports. Um, Like I told y'all last week, old wifey has a real reason to hate Gonzaga now. So she has become a UCLA fan. Again, I don't know why. I think it has a lot to do with Mick Cronin going over there. But 
Don't remember her being a big fan of um, UCLA before. <laughs> but now she's all about UCLA and she absolutely hates Gonzaga. Now, backstory for those of y'all that's just joining the pod. This might be your first time. Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming through. Stopping past. Wifey has had an illogical hatred for Gonzaga ever since we've been together. Like in college, when we first met and started hanging out, I would watch the tournament. And her first question when she saw Gonzaga's name pop up on the screen, who is Gonzaga? That's what she said. Who is Gonzaga? I'm like, no, that's Gonzaga. That's a dumb name. I hate them. That's what she said. Now, she denies all knowledge of this conversation, right? This never happened. And in her head, this is me making up stuff again. Now, I won't lie. Sometimes I just like say stuff to make her mad. And then I just like blow it up a little bit more. And then a little bit more. And then a little bit more. Till it becomes something that never happened. But it's so funny that I just roll with it. And I tell other people so they can roll with it. <laughs> like, I just do that. Like, because it's funny to me. This 100% happened. Now she hates Gonzaga. She wouldn't call them by their real name for about 10 years, y'all. I'm not lying. They were, Gonz- they were Gonzaga in the house. So the illogical hatred of them just kept going until um, the year after COVID when the NCAA decided that, you know, it was safe to have a tournament with no fans. Probably a good call because you want to you want the players to play, but you want to keep them safe. Right. Talked about that before. So. Gonzaga's playing UCLA in the final four. UCLA hits the shot in overtime to, you know, keep the game tied. Jalen Suggs comes through, hits the half court runner with no time left on the clock. Boom. UCLA loses. Boom. Wifey has a real reason to hate Gonzaga. So now it's not just a logical in the house. It's she's out for blood. Like she's she's taking it in blood. She does not like Gonzaga, which is crazy because I think they're in the Sweet 16 now. So it kind of sucks for her. (laughs) Either way, it's been really cool seeing all this great basketball, really competitive. And like I was telling you all last week, the talent pool for college basketball has expanded so much. And I'm not talking about just men's basketball, where you see a 15 seed in the final, in the Sweet 16, where you see a 16 seed knock off a one for the second time in about three, four years, where you see countless double-digit seeds into the Sweet 16. I'm not even talking about the men's um bracket now. In the women's game, you have two number ones fall in the first week of the tournament. I'm telling y'all, that does not happen in women's hoops. Usually, it's chalk going through the first week. Like, when I'm doing a women's bracket, I just basically, if you a top seed, if you in like the top four seeds in your, uh, your region, I'm picking you to go to the Sweet 16 in the women's bracket. Because normally, the talent pool is like just so contracted to the best teams. It's not like that anymore in men's or women's basketball. That's what I'm saying. There are great players everywhere. Right now, I'm watching North Texas play Oklahoma State in the NIT quarterfinal. 
And it's tied 55-55 with 13 seconds left. And North Texas is balling. North Texas is 28-7, and man. I don't care who you play. I don't care how bad people say your schedule is. You don't win 28 games because your schedule is bad. It can't be that trash. At some point, you have some competitive games with some teams that push you to the limit and you pulled it out. I'm just saying. So, because of the great basketball that I saw, and I have been seeing for the past few years in the men's and women's game, here's my proposal. Now, I've heard other people with this same proposal. So, I'm not saying I'm the first person ever in the history of life to thought of this. But I feel like we're all super smart because we all thought of this at some point. You feel me? There should be 96 teams... In both tournaments, <laughs> men's and women's, 96 teams. There are 32 conferences, right? The 32 winners of those conferences automatically get in. And then you pick 64 more teams. Boom, 96. 32 plus 64, 96. You have a first round where basically... They play by seed. I won't say the 32 teams that won their conference automatically get to move on to the next round because that's kind of unfair. Say you're an at-large seed, right? You're an at-large team, but you're number one in the nation, but you got knocked off in your tournament final. You still a number one seed. You still get to move on. So the top 32 seeds don't have to play. And then after that, the first round, those teams that didn't make the first 32. For one, that's more March Madness, y'all. And, and I know y'all love it. I know y'all feeling all of these extra tight games. One, more March Madness. Two, I'm a math teacher, all right? <laughs> so this is kind of what I do. But it's not really hard to do. Check this out. There are 348 teams in men's basketball, in women's basketball. 351, my fault. 348 in women's basketball, 351 in women's basketball. Something like that. One got 348, one got 351. That number isn't important. Here's the number that's important. There's 64 teams, 68 teams. In each bracket, right? So, the men's and the women's tournament, 18 to 19% of the teams that are in college basketball get to make the tournament. That's crazy. So, you're telling me that my squad has an 18% chance to make the tournament. That's crazy. You look at the pro sports. Pro sports let more people in. In football, you got 16 teams in a conference, but seven get to get into the playoffs. That's how most 50% of the teams in that conference to get, they get to go. It's the same in MLS. Basketball, like pro basketball is even greater because you got 15 teams in the conference, right? 
And 10 of those 15 teams get to make the playoffs in some shape or form. That's crazy. That's like 66% of the teams that get to make it to the playoffs. And we sitting up here pissing them on it because, no, you're going to dilute the sport. You're going to have trash games. Come on, man. It's like a small amount of teams making it to the playoffs right now. If you expand it by 32 more teams, you're still not up to 50%. You're not even close to 50% of the teams. That's one reason. Here's another reason. I know a lot of people are saying, you know what? I don't know, LP. It's going to be some trash teams that make it to the tournament. That's not really true. Because it's very, it's very, very simple, y'all. The NIT has 32 teams, right? The NCAA has 68 teams. So basically, you got 68 plus 32. Now, to my knowledge, that's 100, right? So that means four teams from the NIT aren't going to make it. These NIT teams can play like they're balling. What I what I really don't get, because I've heard some pushback. Like I, I kind of put this out there to people, and they're like, "Man, that's too many teams." You sure about that? Because it's really just one extra round. My personal opinion, what I think, is that the powers that be in the media really don't want to see that many teams for the same reason that colleges don't like to admit a whole lot of <clears throat> a whole lot of um, students the same reason you'll have parties where you see a real long line of people standing outside the party but not a lot of people are in the party it's that thing where it looks better to people if not a lot of people are in there you feel what i'm saying but that's kind of dumb because the goal of a college player is to make the conference, is to make the NCAA tournament. The goal of a coach is to make the NCAA tournament. And low-key, you ask any coach, they'll freak out and say definitely 100% because they're judged based on if they make the tournament. You give up 32 more slots. That's 32 more chances for them to make the tournament. So they're all in for it. The players are in for it. The coaches are in for it. The ADs are in for it. The only people that really don't want to see it are the media and the fans. The fans because fans hate change. Real life, fans hate change. The worst thing you can say to a fan is, next year we're switching it up. You got all these traditionalists out here. No, man, I like it the way it was. You really like it the way it was? Well, let's go back to before 1985, where the only teams that could get into the tournament were teams that won their conference. Real, real life. There was a time where if you didn't win your conference, you didn't get in, period. Flat out. So you got two teams, one and two, in their conference. They play each other in the tournament final. The player, The team that loses, they don't make the tournament at all. So y'all really wanna y'all really wanna be traditional? Let's do that. All change isn't bad. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to evolve to get to a point where you understand that the game changes. It doesn't stay the same. And back then, 
it made sense to have 32 teams. It made sense to have 24 teams because the talent was concentrated in only a few places. In the men's and women's game, it doesn't make sense to have this concentration to, to make it seem like we just have a concentration of kids just going to UCLA, just going to UConn, just going to Michigan State. It doesn't make sense because we got ballers everywhere now. CJ McCollum graduated from Lehigh, and they beat Duke in the tournament. Damian Lillard went to Weber State. Like, we can go on and on, and you can find players from countless Division I schools that played very well and got on a run in the tournament. And really, that's all it's about in the tournament, y'all. If you got solid guard play and you have a good shooting night and the other team has a bad shooting night, boom, that's a dub. If it happens again, boom, you're in a sweet 16. <laughs> and if it happens two more times, guess what? You're in the final four. They really should have expended this after George Mason made it to the final four because that was just epic. A team from the, what were they from, like the Mid-Atlantic American Conference or something? I don't know. It was something wild. Once they did that, we should have talked about expansion. And it's going to be slow because the fans don't like it. And the NCAA moves at a snail's pace. But I feel like this will be really big for the game because it will expose us to more players that you don't get to see on a regular basis. You're not watching America East Conference basketball. Not unless you know somebody there. You're not watching Big Sky Hoop. Not unless you know somebody to go there. But once the tournament starts... All this exposure comes out for these players and these leagues and these teams. And that's what it's about. It's really not about the fan going like, well, I want to see it the way I want to see it. That's really not the thing. So I think we just need to be more open to change, y'all. So think about it. Do some research. Let me know how you feel um, on my voicemail box. Shoot me a tweet. Let me know how you really feel about it. Don't just shoot me down and go like, man, that's dumb. That's stupid. Nah, really let me know why you think it's dumb or why you think it's stupid. Why is my idea dumb? I'm Look, I teach middle schoolers, man. There's very little you can say to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm just saying. So let me know how you feel about it. But, I mean, that's my take on it. I think there should be 96 teams in the tournament. I see very little downside to expanding the tournament. I don't think the quality of the game will be diluted at all. I think it'll be expanded. I think we'll see, I think we'll see better games, especially the first-round games. Y'all don't understand how much these big schools dug these little teams. Nobody wanted to play an Oral Roberts. Nobody wanted to play Drake. Nobody wanted to play North Texas because there's no... I really understand it, to be honest. If I'm running Ohio State, I'm not playing North Texas. I'm definitely not going to North Texas to play. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to let North Texas play me at home because it's it's kind of like... <laughs> I I tell kids this in class. When you fight a girl, as as a boy, when you fight a girl, here are the options. One, you beat the snot out of the girl and you look like a chump because you're beating on a girl. Or the girl beats the snot out of you 
And everybody's going like, dang, you got knocked out by that girl. Dang, you a chump. So either way, you looking bad. So why are you fighting a girl? What's the upside for you, young man, to fighting this girl? It's best to just walk away. I mean, it really is. Unless you're defending yourself, it's best to just walk away. Because there's there's no winningness for you. You beat her up, you lost. <laughs> you lose, you lost. That's what it's like for a team, for a high major team to play a mid-major team like an Oral Roberts, like a Drake, like a North Texas. If you win, oh, you were supposed to win. Oh, you just do what you're supposed to do. If you lose, dang, you lost to North Texas. Now, I'm not saying North Texas are, are girls, but... I mean, I've seen a lot of girls that's dusted off boys in basketball games, so maybe it's not as bad of a of a thing as you think. <laughs> I'm just saying. But in a tournament atmosphere, the big boys have to play the little boys. And that onus is off of the big boys because everybody's good in the tournament. You make the tournament, you a good team, you feel me? So the big boys play the little boys and they beat them. Good job. Little boys beat the big boys. Oh, that's great. That's what a 96-team tournament does. It gives more props to the little guy. But honestly, the big guy is going to just take more of the spots. That's what normally happens. So think about it, y'all. I'm just saying. Moving on. Um, I watched an interview where Damian Lillard was basically talking about how... In sports, everything feels like it's all about the ring. Everybody's like, well, did you get a ring? Well, did he get a ring? It's that and the third. And Damian Lillard was like, as much as I want to win a ring, I'm not going to necessarily chase a ring because he's seen what happens to players that chase a ring. Either their ring gets discredited because they went to chase it, or they chase it and they don't get it, and then they're looking some type of way. And he's kind of like, look, I like what I'm doing here. I'm loyal to where I am. I got my family here. And this is the part that kind of blew me away. He's like, once I finish playing, these people aren't going to be thinking about me. He's like, they're not going to care what I'm doing. He's like, so why should I care now about what they think? Because I got to do what I got to do for me. So I can't sit up here and chase rings and this, that, and the third to make fans happy or to make it seem like I did a great thing in the NBA because I know what I can do and I know what I did and I know what I'm doing. And, man, that just that just blew me away because I 157% agree. Everybody wants to rank people based on if they want a ring or well, so-and-so won six and he didn't win any. So dude got to be better because he won six. And I feel like people don't enjoy the moment anymore, like real life. And and I'm not saying that back when I was a kid in the nineties, everybody was like, Oh, we're just playing for the love of the game. And, Cause it wasn't like that back then. We had the same arguments in school. We were like, well, so-and-so won two titles. And dude ain't win none yet. 
My favorite player is Reggie Miller. My favorite player. People ask me who my favorite team is, and I go like, I don't really have one. Because we don't have NBA basketball in Cincinnati. So I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really care. But if you push me to name a team, I would say the Pacers. Because growing up, that was my squad. I was like a Reggie Miller fanatic. And I wanted him to win a ring so bad. You know how like so many people say, you know, Michael Jordan's the greatest. Man, I love Michael Jordan. He was the GOAT. Look, man. I hated MJ with a passion. Hated everything about him. Did not like him. Kids would be in class, you know, with their 23 jerseys. I'm rocking my 31 jersey. Proud. I'm rocking a Reggie Miller jersey. Man, MJ the best. Like, man, forget MJ. I hate him. Don't talk to me about MJ. <laughs> that was me, age 13, 14, 15. I didn't want to hear it. Reggie Miller didn't get a ring. As much as I wanted him, to get one, as much as I played NBA Live 96 and 97 and 98, dating myself, but that's what it is, and made sure I drafted Reggie Miller and got him scoring 90 points a game, <laughs> as much as I wanted him to get one, he didn't. He got this close, but he ran up against the Lakers and I mean, it wasn't really that close when you got Shaq and when you got Kobe, when you got Rick Fox just blazing and you got Robert Oy ready to hit a three with Nate down. Oh, my goodness, that team was just stacked. Reggie didn't get one. You asked me to name the top three best shooting guards ever. I'm putting Reggie in that top three. Oh, but he didn't get a ring. So, you telling me from what I saw from Reggie Miller, he's not one of the best shooting guards ever. No rings. If you don't get no rings, you can't be the best. Dude. Until you score eight points in 11 seconds to win a playoff game, don't tell me nothing about that. I don't want to hear it. Reggie put up eight points. My fault. Eight points in nine seconds. They've done documentaries about how Reggie hit the three. Yeah, he pushed him. He he pushed off. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. He got the little push off, stole the ball, had the knowledge to step back behind the line and hit another three. Took the lead, hit two free throws, got him up out of there with the W. That was Reggie Miller to me. I don't care about him not winning the rings. Now, of course, him winning one would make me go like, yeah, now what? Number one. But it didn't happen. That doesn't make him not one of the best. It means he didn't do something that most players in the league didn't do. Most players in the league don't win a ring. That's how it goes. That's how I feel about Damian Lillard. That's why I think it was so on point what he said. In life, there are so many of us that won't reach the pinnacle of whatever it is in our field. I might not ever win teacher of the year. I got close. I got nominated. <laughs> it didn't work out for me. And I wasn't sad about that, to be honest. The person who won, they deserved to win. The program that he was running and all of that, he 100% deserved to win that. And I made sure I told him, too. I'm like, hey, congrats, man. You, you really have earned that.
and keep it going. But if I don't ever win teacher of the year, I don't think I'm going to be like, dang, I was kind of a trash teacher. I don't think the kids that come to visit me, you know, when they come home from college or when they're just walking down the hallway from their class or whatever, I don't think they're going to look at me as a bad teacher because I didn't win something like that. It's very few people that are going to be able to say, hey, I was teacher of the year in my district or my school or my state. Very few people are going to say that. But there are a ton of really good teachers out there. And I think that's the point that we miss when we say stuff like, well, you know, you got to you got to put him up here because he won the ring. You know, you got to put her up here because she got two titles and homegirl down here don't. It doesn't really work like that. You have to take everything into account. If Damian Lillard doesn't win the title. He 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 works his he works his ass off, but just doesn't get one. I'm gonna remember him waving the team home in the playoffs, like hitting the shot and just waving like bye. It's a wrap. I'm gonna remember him me mugging the camera while everybody else is going nuts. He looking at the camera like this is what I do. I'm gonna remember stuff like that. I'm gonna remember him putting up 71 points. In a regular season game. I'm going to remember him putting his team on his back in the bubble, which was a crazy environment during COVID. And making sure that his team got into the play-in game. This is the stuff I'm going to remember about Damian Lillard. And if he doesn't win the ring, I mean, I guess a lot of people will say, well, but he didn't get the ring. Eh. I look at it just like Reggie Miller. He didn't get the ring. But name me somebody who could stop him in his prime. That that would be my butt right there. And this would be the same for Damian Lillard. Okay, he didn't win a ring. But name me somebody that you would have other than him with the ball in their hand when it's five seconds left. That list is going to be super small. Because when it's Dame time, it's Dame time. You feel me? So I just thought it was a really good interview it was just one of those moments where you just kind of look like man this young guy got a whole lot of sense because it seems like he's just so grounded he knows what's important and what's kind of important right now like you know family friends make sure everybody's straight that's going to be important forever what he's doing right now in the league it's important right now but i feel like he has a firm grasp on the fact that at some point all of this stuff is going to go away. Nobody can do what they're doing right now forever. You just can't. So you can't make your job everything. I mean, I'm a teacher, but I just kind of make sure that I understand for myself that I'm more than that. And I hope that basketball players and football players and soccer players and all that, I hope they realize that they're more than just what they do. They're more than just the fans cheering for them because they can shoot or because they can run fast or because they can dribble. And if they can understand that they're more than that, the outside noise won't really matter that much. So, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. When I'm coaching, I make sure I let the kids know It is great that you can hoop. It's awesome. I'm going to teach you how to be an even better basketball player. But 
watch the stuff that we do outside of basketball too, because all of that is just as important. The way we're treating people, the stuff we're learning in class, the way we're interacting with the ticket taker and the fans and stuff like that, because that's what people remember the most. I don't know how many times I heard, oh, Duke who, but he was a prick. When they say that buddy was a prick part, that part's going to stick with them more than the he can hoop part. Because at some point, it's going to be he used to hoop. But he's going to think you're a prick forever. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So athletes out there, just understand that you are way more than what you do. So perfect that part of yourself as well as what you do on the court on the field or on the track and that'll just make you a um it'll make you a much better person once you're done playing because we don't want people out here being that person that just couldn't let go of the game so they did dumb stuff and we don't need that y'all so i guess i can talk about covid now and it's so strange talking about COVID because when I first started the podcast, it was in 2020, but it was in January and so much stuff happened. Kobe passed, I think when I was like four or five episodes in, that's like the only episode that I didn't monetize because I just felt like I'm talking about Kobe, but People are clicking on it. I'm trying to get paid from it. That's kind of whack. So I just turned that off. That's why there's no ads on the episode at all. If you listen to that episode, there's literally not an ad. I'm not talking about Anchor or none of that. I just come on, say what I got to say, go off. And there's a there's another couple because it got really hectic summer of 2020. And there are a couple more where I just decided not to put the ads on because I'm like, feel kind of cruddy doing that. But more than anything, that whole experience with COVID was like, there are all these memories that I have now where I kind of I kind of think about it and I go like, dang, we really went through that. Times really got that hard. Man, y'all, real talk. None of this stuff is made up. All of this stuff literally happened. I was in Kroger one morning, and this was right before COVID started to ramp up, right before schools closed and all of that stuff, and I was teaching from Zoom and Google Meet. I'm at the U-Scan, you know, scanning my stuff, and I watched this guy take the the real large jar, the real large bottle of hand sanitizer, take it put it in the bag, scan the rest of his stuff, and walk out. This man took the entire industrial-sized thing of hand sanitizer. And this was like early, early February. And I'm like, why did he do that? And days go past, and I'm like, okay, I get why he did it. He was kind of a jerk for doing that. But, wow, that... It was that point when I knew that it was going to be bad. And then the icing on the cake was the next day, we're in class. 
and somebody calls in our groups and you could just see five people just scatter and run the other way because this person coughed. Once that happened, um, myself and my co-teacher, we just kind of looked at each other and we was like, yeah, this is about to get bad. And everything just kind of like snowballed from there. Tournaments got canceled. We basically lived the life of castaways in our own homes for months, which wasn't as bad as I thought it would be here. Um, We just kind of made the most of it and just kind of chilled out. Played a lot of Street Fighter. Played a ton of Street Fighter. Um, got got, Got a few of the kids hooked on Street Fighter. We played soccer in the house. Broke wine glasses. The wife's still not happy about that. I mean, it was fun, though. <laughs> I'll tell you how down bad we were before I wrap this up. This is how down bad we were. Toilet paper was at a premium, right? And we were smart enough to stock up at Sam's Club, and we had ourselves like a ton of toilet paper, you know? And it was all good. But we were kind of preparing for the point where it kind of dipped off. We were trying to get ready for that. So we're looking online. We're trying to hit stores and there's no toilet paper anywhere. And we're we're looking online and we're like, the only toilet paper we could find was four boxes of Donald Trump joke paper. This They really sell this stuff where Donald Trump face is on the roll of the toilet paper and as you tear off strips you can just see his face so i guess you would just be wiping yourself with trump and we were so down bad we were like dang maybe we should buy it just to be safe and we're like nah no but maybe we should nah like it <laughs> it was just one of those situations where it's to the point where it's sitting in my cart, man. It's just sitting there. And I'm like, maybe I should do it. I'm like, nah, that's dumb. Plus, it was like a ridiculous price. I mean, I think four boxes was like $55. Like, are you serious for toilet paper? For any toilet paper. So, talking to um my team of teachers, one of them lets me know that they bought some toilet paper at Menards. Which is basically a hardware store for the most part (laughs) so i jet off to menards like top speed got the mask on and everything go in and there's actually toilet paper there and there's myself there's a couple of ladies behind me and there's one guy right next to me and there's about eight Packs of toilet paper. I think there's about 16, you know, 12, 16 in each pack. There's five of us. There's about eight of these packs of toilet paper. So everybody should be able to get one. The guy is right next to me and he grabs up four immediately. He immediately just grabs four of them and starts trying to walk away. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we just, we just pretty much shamed him. <laughs> we're like, you just going to take that and not leave some for everybody else? 
Like, why why would you just not take one? Like, we really just started shaming them. Like, I don't know these ladies' backgrounds, none of that. But I know at that point, we were all united. Like, you're not about to just take four, four of these packs of toilet paper, dude. So he put three back, and we all just took one. We just looking at each other like, dang, Duke was really about to just... Just hoard this and just go online and sell it for like fifty nine dollars. Like that's the stuff I remember about COVID. Now it th- there's other stuff I remember that's just like awful. You know, losing people and people getting sick. That stuff is always going to be there and it's not going to go away. And for anybody that lost a loved one or a friend. My sympathies are definitely with you, and I hope I hope I have yours as well. Um, but just getting through a time like that with family and close friends, it just kind of helps you understand that anything can happen. Like, who can expect when the ball drops on December 31st slash January 1st that you're looking at a situation where you're teaching kids from home on Google Meet and you're hoping that they pop up because you're like, you know, I want something to go wrong with them. When you were just sitting in class with them two weeks before and it was all good. There was like literally nothing to worry about. It just really shows you that life come at you fast, man, for real. So um, be safe, take care of you and yours and and just try to have fun with this, man, because Hey, who's to say what could happen tomorrow or the next day, you know? So just have fun with it. Be safe and just live life, man. Oh, yeah, before I head out, um, the movie recommendation. Um, for those of y'all that's just joining the pod, because I know I got a few newbies, um, LP got really upset and went on a rant about how people just take um, Black History Month, and it just compartmentalizes it to that month. From February 1st to February 28th or February 29th, you'll leave your baby. They're all about Black History. And then once March 1st comes, ooh, all done. Let's flip the script. So I said, forget that. I'm like, we're going to talk about Black-oriented movies shows, and in this case, a book (laughs) that you can read that's kind of off the main stem. So I'm not pushing a Dr. Martin Luther King documentary on you. And we're not going to talk about the next Rosa Parks movie because you get that pumped into you you at school from the time you're five years old. So I said, we're going, we're going off the beaten path. All right. We're doing something a little different. So maybe you've seen it, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've read it, maybe not. But it's something that can kind of let you into like another different view of us as black folks. All right. So the book, not a movie, the book It's called A Hope in the Unseen. All right. And it's written by this guy named Ram Suskind. That's um, S-U-S-K-I-N-D. I got put on to this book um, probably 05, 06. And it's a really interesting book. So it's about 
this boy who we meet. It's actually an autobiography. It's like a it's like a autobiography of a of a of a boy who lives in Washington D.C. and he lives in a very rough area, and he's a little bit different from everybody else because he's been academically inclined from birth. Uh, his mother has pushed on him what a great education can do for you. But he's around a really tough atmosphere. His dad went to jail. His mother is working as best as she can, but it's really hard for her to make ends meet. And their life pretty much revolves around church and him going to school while she goes to work. So from all of this, he's able to push himself and get himself um, into um, Brown University, and he's able to graduate from Brown University. We get to see the journey from about 10th grade up until his sophomore year of college. And the best part about it is it's not one of those books where we just see what happens and you know, you see a little bit of dialogue. The The author of the book, he actually continuously interviewed all of the people that are part of the book. So when you see the young, when you hear the young man talking or you hear his inner monologue, it's not the author making it up. It's literally the subject. It's their thoughts. And it's an awesome way to read a book. Um, it really reminds you of um, the book, The Corner. I don't know if anybody's heard of that before. Um, it's basically what The Wire was kind of based off of. Um, it's a really powerful book. A lot of different colleges use this as the introduction in their English classes and whatnot because it's really that powerful of a book. You get to see this young man. You get to kind of see his ups and his downs. You get to see when he's self-conscious. You get to see, you just get to see how, how life was really rough for him. And he decided at some point that he was going to have faith in something that he couldn't really touch. It it wasn't really tangible for him, but he just kind of knew it was there. So he just kind of kept grasping at it until he got there. Um, what makes it so powerful is how it's written, because you're not just seeing what the author thinks. You get to see what his mom thinks. You get to see what the people around him think. So it's not just written in the the boy's name is Cedric. It's not just written in his voice. There are people around him that kind of don't really understand the way he is. And we get to kind of hear from them as well. So it's a really awesome book. Um, then the book, it takes place in about 95, 96. So you can kind of take yourself back there and kind of understand how it was. Um, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I think it's really helped my teaching career, to be quite honest. There are only two books <laughs> that I consistently recommend to anybody who's starting a teaching path. Uh, this book, and there's a book called The No Complaining Rule. It's not what it sounds like. <laughs> Those are the two books I always recommend to people who are just starting out teaching. Because one, you get to understand 
The no complaining rule kind of helps you understand what it's going to take for you to be a successful teacher and person. And it's not really about not complaining. It's more about what to do when you need to complain. <laughs> and this book here, I hope in the unseen, it helps you understand how kids feel as they're going about becoming the person that they want to be. And it's great because you get to hear it in their voice. So I 100% recommend it. I 300% recommend it. If you read it before, let me know how you feel about it. If you haven't read it before, um, I would hit up the local library. They always have a copy or two of it. Um, let me know how you feel about it, man. Um, and with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and watch some more NIT Hoop. And try to take care of this voice because whew, I'm on fire right now. Give me some water, sprinkle some lemon or something like that. I never really liked that. I'm just kind of talking ritzy right now because I'm on the podcast. But it'll just be water straight out the bottle. Just saying. <laughs> but I'm going to catch up with y'all next week. Um We'll see how the tournament goes. We'll see what we can get into next week. But until then, um, all y'all make sure y'all stay safe and life is good. Peace out. If you're not ready for the conversation to end, I'm not either. Make sure to catch me on Twitter. That's the Sensi Fan Talking. Leave off the G at the end of it and we can keep the conversation going. Also, don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button so you can catch the next episodes. The episodes will drop every Tuesday. If there's a change in that, I'll make sure to let you know. Appreciate the support. As always, life is good.